Welcome, everybody, to the Sunday Recap. This is Chris McLaughlin here with Mitch Green and Ariel Eldridge. Hello, everyone. Hey, good morning. <laughs> good morning. What's going on? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And good night. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to see you guys. We're uh, hanging out today. We're going to be talking about uh, this really great sermon that uh, Scott had on Sunday, uh, just on the genealogy found in Matthew chapter one, which... Um, Man, that's got to be tough to preach from a genealogy <laughs> in some ways, but uh, but I thought it was really really good. Before we get to that, um, we're we're gonna talk about uh, one thing that is coming up in the life of our church, and that is membership class. Membership class uh, coming up in January. Uh, we have a membership intensive that's going to be on January twenty second and twenty third. But um, why membership? Give me the uh, elevator pitch here. Uh, why should people join a church? Why should people be a member? Well, I know who teaches that session. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here. What you can't see is that I'm pointing at Mitch because yeah. I'm like, I don't want to talk. But <laughs> I do teach, teach that, that session. session. Yes. Yeah, why membership? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, you know what? When we go through membership, we talk about what the case is for membership in um, biblically, what we see the case for membership being in the early church. And basically what it is, is we see um, them adding to their number daily. We talk about um, Big C Church, which is Church Universal. Mm -hmm. We talk about Little C Church, which is the local body, which we get to be, um, which has a wonderful um, ministry for each other and for um, the community. And so um, we really value just talking that out and helping people see the, the, uh, the importance of not only coming to be uh, ministered to, but bringing their ministry into the fold. Yeah, absolutely. There's this there's this kind of inclusion that we see in the New Testament that we're trying to replicate now exactly. and as part of as part of a New Testament church and and that's a a really cool thing to do. We just call it church membership, but um so yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it's a um it's a really great class. You get to hear from the three of us. Uh Number one, and so well, let's put it this way: you get to is hear that from, what makes it really great. It makes Chris? it great that wow. we get to hear from Ariel and, and uh, Mitch. Uh, no, but but it, it's super fun to teach the class with with you guys, and um, and then uh, also Dalton comes in and talks about communication uh, in the class, which is great. And um, every class is is also really fun because there's um, there's some interaction that happens within the people for, for the people that are in the class. It's a chance for them to kind of get to know some some new people as well. Mm -hmm. And so um, so anyway, if you're interested in becoming a member here at Stones Crossing Church, we really want to encourage you to sign up. So you can go online to stonescrossing.com/new, and there you can find the little link for uh, our church membership class and uh, register there. So we hope to see you there. Well, guys, Pastor Scott this week preached uh, out of Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, the genealogy of Jesus Christ <laughs> from Matthew's perspective. Um, this is a tough thing to preach from. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, let's just let, let's just kind of talk about the elephant in the room here, genealogies. What, what, what's your take on genealogy, honestly? Like, like, here we go. In general or in the Bible? In the Well, in the Bible. Oh. Yeah. It's like my, my mom's side of the family has like one of the like, I think they have one of the longest kept genealogies like in Indiana or something. Really? Ooh, I think no it, way. I think it's ended. But at one point, I think that was like, that was a real thing. That's crazy. But I never cared about it. So, so that's <laughs> it. I'm in that camp like Scott said, okay. where he's like, you usually don't care about your own genealogy. Uh -huh. So why would you care about someone else's? Yeah. You know? 
No, I mean, I'm with you guys. I think they're incredibly important. I think they're one of the most skipped over parts of the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. I think, like Scott said with his first point, um, the fact that, you know, they're, they they establish the historical setting um, and the historical accuracy is the word I'll use. There's probably a better word. Mm-hmm. But the historical accuracy of the book, um, yeah. they're incredibly important um, to the Jewish audience. They meant a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they would never have been skipped over. Yeah. Um, and and so I I yeah I think they're very important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Why why is the historical nature of Christianity so key? I mean, when we look when we talk about well, that was really Scott's first point here is that Christmas is real, and his point here is that Christianity is real, like that that it's grounded in history in human history. Why is why is that point so critical for us to understand that Jesus wasn't just like a figure of uh, you know a figment of our imagination, yeah. some some myth or some story, but that he was a real person, that he lived, that he actually died, that he actually rose again, like like all of those points. I think it's incredibly um, mind-blowing for us to have both a spiritual side of this that we know, um, that we believe, even though we haven't seen, but then to have actual eyewitness account that has been recorded and, and preserved for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about how many other pieces of literature have um, passed away through the ages, how this one has stood the test of time, and there are very few like it that have, have lasted yeah. this way. Um, and that it, it's Which really not, speaks to God preserving, absolutely. preserving it in, in a lot of ways. But, absolutely. I mean, that's what I would point to. But yeah, Sure. So. <laughs> sure. And yeah. I, I think that sometimes we don't um, do the hard work of, like, of trying to navigate what um, historically God has done to mm-hmm. preserve these things so that we can rely on that this actually happened yeah. in, in space and time. Um, and once you, once you have both pictures, you're like, I believe it because I have faith. And I, even though I haven't seen it, I know that he's true. Even though I haven't seen him, I believe. Um, but then to even have like the factual evidence as well, it's, it's, it's right. mind blowing for, for the believer. And then hopefully for those that you're able to encounter and, and share it with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the crux of the Christian faith, no pun intended, is Jesus death on the cross, yeah. You know, and so wait, wait, so wait, then, wait. <laughs> oh, I didn't, you didn't get the laugh track to work, did <laughs> there, you? There it is. There yeah. it is. There uh, it is. Yeah, that was good, Mitch. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Thank <Okay>. you. <laughs> so yeah, so it's Jesus' death on the cross, but but even more broader than that is the fact that he was a historical person that lived. Yeah. Um, and so if it's not grounded in history, then really the Christian faith has nothing to stand on, because right. as Scott said, it's not just a list of moral teachings. Right. It's you know, believing in the work of a person. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the apostle Paul says it this way. This is first Corinthians 15 verse 13. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Um, and, and, and so he concludes that whole section. He says, uh, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. And so the idea that he's getting to is the, the, the very historical nature of what Christ has done is the very foundation of our faith. And if it is not historical, then it's not true. And Paul is saying we should just throw it out if it's not historical, um, which is a really a bold thing to say, especially, I mean, if you take it from an apologetic standpoint, yeah. like, like if you're the, some guy that's like coming up with a religion, you know, mm-hmm. like don't claim that you're grounding it in history if you're making it up because then you can just go back and prove it to be wrong. I mean, this is this is something that that really points to the historicity 
mm-hmm. and factual nature mm-hmm. of, Christ, of Christ and what he did. Well, and I love it. I don't want to get on a rabbit trail here, but because it, it just really goes against the face again of even modern philosophy. Because mm-hmm. many people have even argued for Christianity being like, well, you know, if you believe it and it is true, like yeah. that's good for you. And if it's not true, what did you really lose? And Paul's like, we lose everything. everything. <laughs> like, exactly. We wasted all our time. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just funny. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> well, let's just walk through the genealogy a little bit because as we read through the genealogy, we're, it's going to bring up several names that are um, stories from the Old Testament that say a lot about what God has been doing in human history in the midst of all this. So it begins, you know, this is the book of the genealogy. And that word genealogy that's used there in verse one is actually the word Genesis. So it's it's kind of referring to origin, the the, the beginnings of, of, of who, you know, kind of the where Jesus came from. Um, so it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Um, first of all, just, just from verse one, why does he pick those names in particular to sort of... Um, kind of be the chapter divisions, uh, David and Abraham. Why, why, why does he do that? I'm going to make a guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's no guessing guess. here. I know, right? <laughs> we are not the experts, but we, we try to help you. But um, I'm going to guess that he's pulled out these two that are very important um, figures in their, uh, in their past because of the two big covenants that were made to both of these men, mm-hmm. both to Abraham and to David. Um, Abraham, God says, through you, you will be a blessing to the nations, right? And so there's this promise that there's going to be even bigger people of God, that his, that his, um, children will outnumber the stars. And at the time his wife was barren. So what a promise. Mm -hmm. And then you move on to David where he expands on that, on that covenant even more. And, um, and talks about how not only um, what he said to Abraham, but that there would be a, a, a ruler come through and that will establish your throne th- forever through this person. Mm. Um, and so it has this royal uh, aspect to it as well, yeah, which is really cool. So you've got a, you've got a king who's going to be a blessing to the, the nations um, and then go from there. But I just, I just, I'm guessing that those are two of the biggest things yeah. that they would have in mind there. Absolutely. You know, I mean, really those, those, th- there's three, well, four big covenants that you find in the old Testament, but, but uh, one of them is the new covenant that points to, to Jesus Christ specifically. But the other one is the covenant with Moses, which is not brought up in I, here. That's interesting. It is isn't it? it is interesting that, that, I mean, Moses was a Levite. He wasn't part of the line of Judah. Right. Um, and so he wouldn't be in Jesus's line. Um, so he's not brought up in the, in the genealogy, but I think it is interesting that that's kind of the way that God did it, that, that, um, there's, there's sort of a, a distinction that's made between these, these, um, these two covenants that are, uh, you know, the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant are, are really, um, uh, unconditional mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, when, when you look at, at, at what those are, I mean, there's little things in there, but, but it's, but for the most part, they seem unconditional, mm-hmm. that this is God's grace to them versus the Mosaic covenant that was very conditional. Um, and so there's, there, I don't know if there's something relevant there, but. <laughs> well, you know, something else that I thought would be interesting if, if you were a Jewish person listening to this genealogy and you were, um part of the original audience, you know, you would, you would hear several moments where it was really iffy if this line would carry on. Mm -hmm. Um, 
one of those that's lesser known probably if you've ever um, studied like Haggai or Zechariah um, would be Jeconiah. And um, Jeconiah was a scoundrel and he was part of the the siege by Babylon who was... um, exiled to Babylon and God basically said, your li- this line is done. I'm done with you guys. Right. And, and so they have a period of time there where there's nothing going on and they, they could have been done. Yeah. Um, but out of his grace, he brings, he brings forth, um, Zerubbabel who goes back to, um, the land and, and rebuilds the temple. Right. That is a, a crazy, crazy story. Um, because yeah, essentially you have this idea that the, like the, the line of the Messiah is, ending. Right. It's, mm-hmm. and it's devastating, right. devastating to the people. Um, so it's just, just really, really crazy stuff. What are some, let's kind of look through some of these other names as well. I mean, one of the things that Scott brought up was, um, the story of Tamar yeah, <laughs> from, yeah. from Genesis. Why? Um, but you know, you, you have some other kind of sad, just terrible stories in here. You have this you know, he brings up the fact that David fathered Solomon by the wife of uh, of Uriah. Mm-hmm. Um, another terrible failure <laughs> in in the history here. He brings up Rehoboam. Rehoboam was Solomon's son who caused the the civil war in the nation of Israel uh, because of really because of his immaturity, and this civil war ended up dividing the nation of Israel from the nation of Judah. You have. Uh, obviously, like we talked about there, Jeconiah and, and all of that 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 happened. Mm-hmm. Why bring up so much turmoil in the line? Mm-hmm. Why? What? What does that tell us about about um, what God is doing in this in this line of the Messiah? Well, I mean, I think there's there's a potential, you know, reminder that God is sustaining this line. You know, as you're pointing out through all these stories. So we we look at these examples, and you know, it's it's like okay. God, in their even sin, in some cases, God sustained the line. Yeah. You know, um, and so I think that's kind of that's kind of to me one of the obvious things that's on the surface through this. Yeah. Scott, it it also doesn't deny those aspects of history, which I think is which is important too. Yeah, not like to sweep it under the yes. rug or mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to head toward the point where Scott brought up the word grace when he said mm-hmm. this really reveals how gracious God was and is and um you know something i i thought was really cool is that he pointed out that there are several females in here and you don't normally hear women listed in jewish genealogies um and then the women that are that are mentioned are you know terribly imperfect and then you've got like rahab who was um part of the city of um Jericho, mm-hmm. and so wasn't even an Israelite. So there's there's lots of opportunities where where well, and Ruth too. Yeah, uh, th- these are Gentiles that are included into this line. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very very cool. The last the last thing you know to mention just directly from the prophecy. You know, you were asking earlier. Okay, why David? Why Abraham? Well, uh, sorry, not prophecy. The genealogy. I gave my point away. Is that there there are prophetic <laughs> undertones to this too. Okay. You know, just the symbolism of, of the line of David, you know, is mentioned at, at least twice in the Old Testament. I don't know if it's mentioned more than that, but that there will be a branch broken off from the line of David, that there will be a king that will come um, that will reign fully, you mm. know. And so I think that's, it's drawing even from that prophecy of the Messiah who's to come, you know, for them directly. Um, yeah. So while it has this covenant 
you know, undertones of God fulfilling his covenant. It also has these prophetic, you know, undertones of the prophecy that's being fulfilled through right, Christ as the right. Messiah. That's really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the way that Scott said it on Sunday, he said, God is sovereignly guiding human history to accomplish his plan. Um, and this is a this is a big statement because what this is kind of saying is that somehow, and we, we don't understand, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but we don't understand how exactly this works, but God is somehow um, ordaining, orchestrating all, all of these things to take place. And, and so it's actually a really um, important thing for I think for Christians to understand is that um, when we are in a difficult situation, in, di- in a difficult circumstance, then what that means is that for for a reason, for a good and loving reason, God may have us in that difficult circumstance, and 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 because of that, um, and, and this is not saying that God is the author of evil or creates this evil. That's that's not what this is saying at all. And you can go back to the other podcast where we talked about this, but yeah. uh, but but I would say what what this is what this is alluding to is that if God has put us in a situation or has ordained these things around us that are difficult and are hard, and we complain against God and we grumble against those situations, what we're really doing is we're kind of saying, God, like I don't like where you've put me. Um, and I think that's a really challenging place to be that's that, that would be um because because essentially what we're doing is we're just kind of we're, we're we're kind of directly going to god and saying god i don't like what you've done with my life i don't like i don't like where you have me right now rather than having maybe a more appropriate response like what like and so i mean maybe the question here is what would be the best response mm-hmm. when we face circumstances that are difficult that are painful that are harsh with the idea of the sovereignty of God in the background. Yeah, it's trusting God, not blaming God. I think I yeah. think it's trust I mean it's trusting him in the midst of your circumstance, not just for the escape of the circumstance, but just trusting God because you know that he is sovereign and he's in control. Mm-hmm. And so you rely and you rely on him, mm-hmm. you know, and as you said, you know, it's it's not claiming that God is the author of these things, but at some element, it has to be claiming that God is at least, um, I don't have a better word than allow, you know, he's, he's allowing these things. And so we trust him. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we lean into him, we trust him. And I think that's what, again, we talked about this many times, probably because we're in the middle of a pandemic, but it's yeah. like, you look throughout the entire New Testament, there's just, there's just not a whole lot of examples of God um, in circumstances rescuing people directly from their circumstance, at least right away. It's yeah. always about him growing them in the middle of their trial in, yes. mm-hmm. or their problem and growing them towards faithfulness um, and obedience of him. Right. And I think that Romans eight twenty eight comes up so often because it is such a good good um, grounder in the fact that the word I was thinking of is, is work. He's working all things. Mm-hmm for the good. Yeah. All the bad things he's working together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so what a comfort to know that all of those hard things that we're walking through are are being worked together. He's orchestrating and he's um he's got a plan and it's um and it's it's good. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing. Yeah, I mean like how can we trust him in the midst of it. So let's, let's kind of maybe dig into the pastoral side of that a little bit. Like, let's say, you know, if if we have listeners who are struggling 
with the circumstances that are going on in our world. I mean, there are so many terrible things that are happening right now in our world. And so many people are really wrestling with what in the world is happening. Um, so, I mean, the question is, at, at the end of the day, we ask ourselves, okay, if God really is sovereign over these things, then how can this be good? How is this all then pointing to some, some sort of good result? Um, now, I don't know that we can answer that. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have all the answers to that. But, but then that element of trust that, that we have to have in the midst of it has to display itself in some way. So what, what, what sort of way does that come out of people when we're saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this? So what would be the proper response then as we, um, as we face those circumstances? Mm-hmm. I mean, the first, the first thing, this is really practical. I don't know if yeah. this really answers your question, but it's, it's changing the object of your reflection, I think is a big part of it. And what is the lens in which you're seeing your experience? I think people often, um, when they're in the middle of a trial, they all they're thinking about is that trial, and mm-hmm. everything is seen through the lens of that trial. Right. Yeah, but I would what, say personally, yeah. it's a, I look at me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why me? Yeah. Why is this happening to me? You know. When we need to look through that, we need to we our lens actually needs to not necessarily be through the experience, but the truth of the gospel message. Mm-hmm. So when we shift our focus, literally, like it's as if we take one set of glasses off and we put another set of glasses on. Yeah. Then we see this trial through 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 the lens of the gospel, and we understand um, the more eternal cosmic truths that are offered in Christ. And then we even can recognize, like, this is where it gets so radical that God may actually be growing us in this experience that we're going through, mm-hmm. that up until this point we've considered to be something that's doing nothing but tearing us down, yeah. actually may have the potential to be for our benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, in some way, I mean, that's that it does. So. Yeah. I think it's it's just completely switching that, which I think begins by changing the object of what your focus is mm-hmm. primarily. That's not denying your experience yeah. or what you're going through. I mean, I've seen people that are like, you know, oh, I'm going through this thing with my wife. And so, you know what? Like, I'm just going to like move out for a while and focus on God. I'm like, no, like mm-hmm. it's it's in the middle of your experience, <laughs> in the middle yeah. of the hard conversations, in the middle of the difficulty, you know, reflecting upon God in the gospel and what the gospel truth says about the circumstance you find yourself in, not for the point of conquering it, but for the point of being able to trust and rest in Christ in that circumstance. Through it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is I mean, I think our, our natural response is try to alleviate the pain, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's trying to just get away from the pain. So I think your example is really good because you have someone who's going to say, okay, I'm just going to step out of that relationship. And that's not, what God wants us to do. God is, God is saying, no, you, you, you're in this situation right now, not, to, I mean, and, and I'm making a blanket statement. So this isn't every situation, yeah. of course, because there, there certainly are situations where distance needs to take place. However, um, for the most part, what we're talking about is when you're in having these, these, these real struggles, real problems, but they are things that are common to everybody that, you know, where, where God is actually using the pain, using the struggle in order to grow us and sanctify us. And to remove ourselves from that is actually to say, God, I'm, I'm running away from your hand. Mm-hmm. I'm running away from, from the discipline that you're, that you're giving me or the, or the, um, the, the, the training that you're giving me in this point. Um, does that make sense? 
Yeah. I, I think, I think too, again, I don't, I, I know we're kind of sitting on this question for a bit, but so it's like it, once you've changed the object of your focus or the lens in which you're looking at your circumstance yeah. through a gospel lens versus just this awful thing that you're going through. The, the second component then is what is really your goal? You know, what, what are you trying to accomplish here? And I think for some people, um, they want to conquer, they want it to be the best thing that it possibly ever can be. And, and as I'm getting older, I either think I, I either think it's just because I'm getting older and more boring, or this 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 biblical truth is just becoming more real. To I me. don't think you're getting boring. Matt. I that's don't know. Okay. I think I am, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, it's the really the the aim. Like if we're just talking about like what is the aim for our lives? Like just trying to separate it apart from serving God, the gospel, all those things that are primary. Mm-hmm. Like what is our life supposed to look like? It's really just living peacefully. Yeah amongst one another in relationship in obedience to sitting before God and reflecting upon him. Mm-hmm. Like the, the aim is peace. The aim isn't conquering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the aim isn't, you know, like human flourishing and gaining all these things. So, so I think like when, once you recognize that maybe like the aim for your marriage was something that was not of God, <laughs> you know, and maybe that's the source of your problem. Yeah. So it's like reflecting on God, reflecting upon his truth. And then the goal isn't just to conquer it with God and move on. The goal is to sit before God and his teaching and remain there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to remain and live peaceably, <laughs> yeah. you know, with one another. And so I think, I think we just get the object wrong. You yeah. know, we get like at all aspects, it's a, it's as Ariel said, it's a me it's a me reflection yeah. versus a reflection on God's in control. I really want and need more God in my life. Mm-hmm. I need more of this truth in my perspective. And then at the end of the day, like I just need to rest yeah. in this truth with God. Just trust him mm-hmm. that he's, he's has me here for a good reason. I'm going to lean into you for a little bit. Yeah. Cause I was just thinking, you know, if, if peace is the highest goal and we just can't attain it because, um, we can only live as peaceably as we, as we can among ourselves as, as far as it pertains to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we may not ever sit at peace because mm-hmm. we're just in a really crummy world mm-hmm. full of fallen people. Um, and so, like, what do you say for the person who is um, seeking peace and is not finding it? Yeah, I, again, I, 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 it's every circumstance because someone can hear me and go, you're just denying my entire experience, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that, you know, as Paul says, that um, there is a peace that surpasses our understanding mm-hmm. that is offered in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so I think um, there is coming to a point of peace. And I, deal, I know people that deal with severe impression and anxiety very closely, so I'm not denying those kind of life matters of stressors. But I think that, again, there is a object of our reflection that we're focused on and what God's calling us to is something that's higher. That's an eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think when we, um, when we can gain that perspective, um, when we can seek Christ, that there is, there is peace. There's at least more peace. It's not, I mean, again, we, sanctification is kind of like what we're getting into the question of. And you know, as we're going towards Christ, it's not just a like steadward uphill roller coaster climb. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an up and a down. It's a momentary thing. It's a daily reflection. It's a daily of centering yourself before God. You know, right. so I'm not denying that like you're just going to have peace forever. You know, uh, you're, you're you're not because you know we're we're still battling in the sin and flesh 
mm-hmm. you know, yeah. dichotomy. So in aspects of your day, you're going to lean into your flesh and aspects of your day, sorry, spirit, not sin. You're going to lean into your spirit. And so, you know, it's it's a momentary reflection, and that's what sanctification looks like, trusting in God in those moments. Mm-hmm. As we grow in his likeness and over time, you know, as we've, you know, seeked God in this way, we grow, you know, to look more like Christ. But you're right, you know, the next hardship comes, and we might dive right back mm-hmm. into this lack of peace. Um, I think what I'm speaking to, though, even broader than this, is the aim. So as I've been praying, um, I'll make it really personal, as I've been trying to pray for our world leaders more, mm-hmm. um, I've been really drawing upon, and I don't remember the passage off the top of my mind, top of my head, but yes, like why do we pay for our world? Pre- sorry, why do we pray for our world leaders? Yeah, well, we pray for them because again, our pro- like our aim is what this passage says is to live peacefully amongst one yeah. another. Yeah. Like that's why we're praying for them is so that we can have peace. And and I think for me, it just reminds me that like I'm not just trying to pray for world leaders so that I can accomplish and gain, you know, whatever I need or so that it benefits me the best or so that, you know, they give mm-hmm. me what I want or so that churches, you know, never are taxed or what. Like, like no, I'm, I'm praying for them because I want to be able to minister and share the gospel with people in a context, in a world, and live peacefully amongst one another doing that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm praying for them because, because that's, that's the opportunity that's provided, you know, when our leaders aren't you know, after us. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so, so I don't know if that, I don't know if no, that makes good. sense, but, but to me, that's, that's, that is when I say the aim is peace, the aim is sitting before God. The aim is more of God mm-hmm. really, really is what it is. But part of that I think provides peace um, in sitting before God um, in the midst of whatever you're going through. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think part of it is actually recognizing the peace that Christ accomplished yeah. for us. So the peace because really the, the, the peace that Christ accomplishes, the peace that exists between God the Father and us, which, where once there was hostility, now there is peace. Yeah. And so if we are at a place where we say, okay, if Christ has actually accomplished this peace for us, then that means that God truly has our best in mind, that he really, he's not going to condemn us. He's not out to, to hurt us, to, to, uh, to break us or destroy us. But that, but that peace is actually there, and there's an element of trust there in the midst of it when, we're, when we do experience difficult circumstances because when those circumstances come up, we often think, wait a second, you know, uh, maybe God doesn't really love me. Maybe mm-hmm. God – because you, you asked the question, like, why me? Yeah. Well, the, I think that the heart of that question is, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. At, and at the end of the day, what that says is there must not really be peace between God and me. Oh, yeah. And, and so I think, I think at the heart of it is a, is a question of do I really believe that Jesus accomplished that peace for me? Yeah, okay. And, and I don't I, – I, 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 I'm going to bring this back. To, to to the you know the Christmas story. Uh-huh. So let's just kind bring of bring it back to the Christmas. I know. I was like, where, where's where's Mitch yeah, going? Br- bring it back and bring it back to there for a second. So Do you hear what I? I, I think we need to recognize how um, the the position that most of those who were following um, were Jews or were early followers of Christ were in, as we're looking at this text mm-hmm. and we're talking about God's sovereignty and the peace that's offered it, offered in God. Mm. Um, and realize that I don't think for many of them they even had the opportunity to think like, well, like 
I can conquer these circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're talking about like Herod is Herod the Great is going to Herod the Great is going to put out a decree to kill all the boys under the age of one. Correct. Uh, What's the age he says? I think it was two or three. Two or but three. I, okay. I, I so so Herod so Herod the Great is going to put out a decree yeah. to kill all of the baby boys. Mm-hmm. This is the context. The, all the Jewish yeah. of the baby boys. This is the audience that this is being written to. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. so keep that. This is this is what's going on in their context. Any baby boy is going to be killed, and mm-hmm. and he kills a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they are making everyone go back to their homeland, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is almost impossible when you really look at it. I mean, you look at Joseph and Mary's journey. They had to cross. Um, Man, I know. I wish I had I had done more research coming into today. But what what, what is the 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 river that the, that they'll have to cross between where they're at? Uh, I'll tell you next week. But they, they literally they literally have to like think Oregon Trail hoard water, but by foot. Oh, nice. You know, to get back dysentery. To the, yeah, to the to their land. Yeah, I think. It, I mean, I mean, this is everybody. Everybody is traveling back to their homeland. Yeah. Um, which is not easy. Almost impossible for some. Yeah. There are the killing of babies. Um, there are like there are the the percentage of wealth for this group, the Jews in the world, is definitely not in the upper class. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe towards the middle, but like Lower really, end. really, when you look at the first century, there's the rich and there's the poor. Mm-hmm. There's no like there's not the middle class like we have today. And so these are people that like they are going through tremendous trial. Mm-hmm. Every single day, and we're not even getting to the truth aspect of the scripture that's being set up. That many of them are going to die for the faith that they have in Christ. So, mm-hmm. um, yet, peace is offered in the midst of that context. Right. So it is radical. It is. It is earth shattering. But I think it's the foundation again, like kind of working through the weeks of Advent. But it's like hope. You know, this is the hope that we have in Christ—a hope that surpasses our understanding in some circumstances. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think we have to recognize that, that we are living a very privileged time. Um, yes. And this is not, yes. this is not the first century world. Like, I think that's yeah. a great point. Cause, because it is hard for us to wrap our minds around these sorts of things based on the context that we live in, where things are pretty good, like all the time. And when they're not good, that's when we get really frustrated. Well, the last point that Scott brought up here was that Jesus turns outsiders into insiders. And, um, you know, actually, Ariel, what you brought up earlier about um, from the genealogy here about the women that are in this genealogy, I think is a really important clue about that because you have people who are, these women are Gentiles and they are now included into the line of Christ. Like Mm -hmm. they're brought into the family, but, but have this privilege of also being in the line of the Messiah as well. Um, and I just, I mean, I'm thinking about some of these different, these different stories. So of course there's Rahab, um, who was the prostitute from, um, uh, Jericho, Mm -hmm. but then you also have Ruth, which, um, man, I, when I read this story, I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, this is, I got to preach on this this summer. Mm -hmm. So, so good. Um, like this story is amazing and it's, it's so neat because I think what you see here, what, in fact, one of the common, uh, the commentators that I read about this he was talking about how what Matthew is probably doing is pulling directly from the the genealogy that we find at the end of the book of Ruth and putting that right into his genealogy as well. Oh, so yeah. that's um, cool. Yeah. So 
So here you have the story of Ruth who, uh, you know, again, it, it was this thing of there's, here's Boaz, right? This line again was in jeopardy. He didn't have children. He didn't have, <laughs> you know, he didn't have descendants. He was older. Um, we didn't know, you know, what, what was going to happen now. Now in the story of Ruth, there wasn't that kind of tension that was being built up in there about the line being, being missing. But, um, but what we see here is that the backdrop of that story is that he is the, in the line of Christ and that God bringing Ruth into his life was, was key for continuing the line that was the way that God wanted it so that Obed would be born. That would bring out, that would bring Jesse and then David. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, you just see like this inclusion then of these Gentiles in, in the midst of all this stuff. Let's talk about new creation yeah. because um, Scott talked about that in his fourth point. He brought up Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Mm -hmm. And new creation is just this amazing theme all throughout Scripture um, that we're really heading towards. So that's the ultimate goal is God's going to make us all new now and forever. <laughs> and Mitch, you're laughing because we've, we've talked about this a couple times that um, it's kind of, it's that already not yet um, aspect of, of eschatology, which is the big word for, for um, the end of things. Yeah. Um, and so what he does though, it, the fact that he takes out outsiders and brings them into the body and makes them new by his spirit is incredible. So mm -hmm. what do you think? And the Galatians 4 passage is specifically is speaking to our adoption as mm -hmm. children um, and that we, we, it says, um, and because you are sons, sons and daughters, children, that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And yeah. so we have this, this relationship with God that has been um, made right, made new, but, but it's a new relationship itself. It's a relationship of, of children to mm -hmm. to a loving father. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, and I think I think it's really cool that this comes off the back end of last week's sermon too. You know, which I gave, <laughs> but, but it's just wild to think that was a I week just ago. Give a nod to that wild, pastor. Wild to think that was a week ago. But you know, just just this picture. I mean, and Scott mentions it in his message again. There's a, there's a there's a messenger. There's an angel who declares that there's there's a message of good news for the entire world. Yeah. You know, and so there's this establishment here. You know, through Jesus, who's the Messiah, you know, for the entire world. And then, you know, this comes off the back end of us looking at a story of the first Gentile believer, you know, the first outsider who's been welcomed mm -hmm. into the, the kingdom of God. And mm -hmm. so I think, um, I think it's like, it really does give us this picture of what, what God is beginning to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those two concepts that we've talked about that new creation and then adoption, both theologically are about are the same concept, but by different authors, they've they've given us different word pictures of what's happening there when this this status is changed for us. Absolutely, I mean, just just think about uh, just kind of piggybacking off what you just said, what God is beginning to do. I mean, think about how the how the Gospel of Matthew is beginning, but now how it's going to end, and it ends with the Great Commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and so you have this this sort of foreshadowing of the inclusion of those nations mm -hmm. right there in the genealogy. Mm -hmm. and, and then, of course, then that picks up into the book of Acts and it's everything like, that we talked about last week. So, it's yeah. like, so take the genealogy of Christ and expand it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To the ends of the earth. Yeah. Isn't that cool? And the hope that that gives, I think, for us is that that includes us. That in, yeah. I mean, I mean, the three of us here, we're not 
Jewish by heritage. Um, and so we are given that hope because of that promise. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that is a huge, um, huge blessing, a huge hope for, for us. So. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Hey! All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish I had some jingle bells. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today on the Sunday Recap. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing more uh, about when we're re really getting this in the series of the characters of Christmas. We've got some really great, um, uh, some great passages coming up from the Gospels. So we'll look forward to hearing that in the next couple of weeks. But uh, again, if you have any questions about things that we've talked about on this podcast, reach out to us. We would love to talk with you. You can find our contact information on stonescrossing.com. Also, I would recommend uh, that if there's anything that you thought that was really helpful or encouraging, um, share it on social media or send it to a friend. We would love to uh, help other people to kind of know more about what's going on here at Stones Crossing Church and uh, get them connected into this as well. So anyway, we hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Sunday Recap. Mm -hmm.